Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Firstly, thanks for coming and doing this again. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I have the urban financer with me today, Mr. Franklin. Do you know what? Yeah, when we had you before... Mm. Like, there was such a big response for you to come back. So there was always, like, just that thing of, like, we need to just try and find a way how we can make this happen again sure. on quite a regular basis, mm-hmm. if you ask me. I think, like, at least, I would probably say at least seven to eight months we should, we should, have, we should have a good old reasoning. Yeah. Even if it's about nothing. Because maybe there could be something that comes of it. Do you know what I mean? Sure. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I mean... As you say, the world doesn't stop. No. Especially the world of finance. Mm. Um, you know, money makes the world go around and it's true. I think, you know, the economic situation over the past, well, since we last met, it's been a lot of turbulence. Mm. Um, economy affects money. And so it's been a busy sort of few months for sure. Mm. Uh, but I think, you know, we're resilient. We'll get through it. So what sort of change from the last time I've seen you? Actually, mm. in fact, for, for people that are unfamiliar, yeah. people that are new, mm. can you like just give us a quick reminder of what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm a private banker uh, and I look after entrepreneur clients. So my sort of primary role is to help my clients uh, sort of look after their wealth, whether it's borrowing money, investing money, protecting money. Um, so really and truly, it's kind of a personal relationship with individuals who happen to be business owners mm. and I'm their banker. Okay. Um, one of the last episodes that we did as well, mm. uh, we was talking about um, parking tickets. <laughs> <laughs> we were. <laughs> we had a big conversation about it. You just told me what? What yeah, happened yeah. to you, so bro? I think when I left the show, um, about two weeks after that, I got a parking ticket. Oh my God. And I thought, Ch- Chucky's cursed me. <laughs> I've got the Chucky curse or the Dan curse. Who, who yeah, yeah, I think it was Dan yeah, who Dan. said he treats, yeah, he treats yeah. parking tickets like flyers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So my yeah. Da- my days of that are like way behind. Like I still get them, yeah. but like it's not it's not ridiculous. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Actually, yeah. in fact, recently I did have like a, uh, yeah, I did have a speeding thing recently. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, as I said, that is now for me it's a rarity. Before, when yeah. I was a, when I was younger, I was a lot more careless. Mm. I was a lot more careless when it came to you know, parking tickets. But uh, again, I was a lot more careless when it came to money and sure. finance and stuff like yeah. that. And that's why even now I think it's good to have a conversation with you because it's like, one thing that I find really interesting is, mm. yeah, we as people or as humans, yeah, we have to deal with money every single day. Yeah. yeah? Mm. But the only time that you really hear people talking about money on a regular basis, yeah, is musicians, isn't it? Mm. Like rappers talk about money regular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's still like a big taboo about mm. talking about money though. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? More so talking about our own money and our own finances and stuff. And I feel like mm. we need to have more honest conversations about yeah. how we can, you know, either make more for our money or, or, or budget our money. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And no, that's a good point you raised. So I think hopefully today's conversation, we can perhaps go a bit deeper into this whole thing around wealth and wealth mm. generation. The last time I was here, we talked about credit, which is some of the basic fundamentals, mm. but essential really just to make sure that at least your credit is good mm. as a foundation. But you, as you say, I think a lot of people have this taboo about talking about money, unless you're a rapper or you're an entertainer, in which case the more money you talk about, the more followers you seem to gain. Mm. Now, the reality is, in society, there are more people who are not rappers, entertainers, superstars, rock stars, than there are of those that are. Mm. So actually, there's a lot more people earning a wage, mm. and therefore, they know their limitations. 
know, they don't get lump sums every few weeks or months when something big happens. They have a paycheck which they have to sort of look after you know, mm. month by month. So it's not comfortable when somebody's looking at somebody else who's sort of you know throwing money around. Meanwhile, they know they've got sixteen pounds in their bank account, mm. and someone's talking about a bust down watch that cost a hundred thousand mm. um, pounds. It's not comfortable, but it also may be a society class thing because for the upper class, a lot of people are privately privately educated when they're young. They know their school fees cost twenty, thirty thousand pounds or so, sometimes a quarter, sometimes a year, depending on where you go. So they have the concept that actually it costs to get through life. Mm. Whereas I think for most people who don't have that upbringing. You don't really talk about money, right? You don't pay when you're in high school. You don't pay when you're in primary school. Mm. The only first time you get the concept is at university. So it's almost a delayed reaction. For most where, where does that start? Like, how, from your perspective, mm. where do you think that started, though? Like, how did that, how has it become this way? I mean, it's, it's a good question. I think, firstly, you know, we spoke about this last time about the fact that this isn't taught in schools. Mm. So for the most people, if you don't have parents who've been you know, had the privilege of having advisors or wealth passed down through generations. Everybody's trying to make ends meet, okay? And by doing so, nobody sits around the family table on a Sunday where mum and dad say, right, let's talk about money. Let's talk about finances. What have you been spending your pocket money on? What are you doing to grow your money or protect your money, etc.? That conversation doesn't exist because I think for the majority of people, it's all about just getting through, right? So I think there is definitely a part of society where money is talked about, right? Because for example, a lot of people are waiting for inheritance to land when they're yeah. 18 or 21 or 30 or whatever so for some people they know exactly about money and so whatever they're doing in life they plan accordingly most people don't have that benefit yeah. so actually when money isn't spoken of in the home it's not taught at school your friends don't really talk about money in their pocket they talk about how much it costs to buy a pair of trainers or to buy a car or a watch or jewelry but you know what else do they talk about when it comes to money hmm. for me the message i really want to get out there is that you know, wealth and, and finance in general follows you through your life stages, okay? So there's wealth generation, okay. wealth accumulation, and wealth preservation. Start again. So wealth generation. Talk to me about that. So when you're in your 20s, 30s, you're generating wealth, okay? And a lot of people will look at somebody like Jay-Z and say, oh man, my life isn't good because I don't have the art pieces on his wall for two, three million pounds. I'm not wearing a Richard Mille for several hundred thousand pounds. I don't have the assets he's got. That's fine. You're generating wealth. Generating wealth is effectively starting a source of income. Yeah, yeah, Getting yeah. your pay slip. You know, if you have a business or something, starting the first few bits of turnover, getting customers, you're generating, okay? Mm. So when you're in your 20s and you've got credit cards or overdrafts or finance or whatever, life isn't over. Mm. It's very normal to be in your 20s or even 30s where you're still generating wealth. And so by the very nature of that, you might have outgoings that outweigh your income. Mm. So we need finance in order to sort of get by. That's normal, okay? Now, clearly, we spoke about this last time. Being responsible is the key here to make sure that everything's well-maintained. That's a but, massive part. Absolutely. But it's not uncommon for 20, 30-year-olds to have debt. No, of it's course. not uncommon. Yeah. I think a lot of people look at themselves and think, I've got a credit card, I've got a loan, and you know, therefore I'm, I'm worse off than somebody else because they don't have any of this. It's very normal that going through the wealth generation stage, you are still trying to find your feet, right? So in your 20s and your 30s, you're generating wealth, okay? Then wealth accumulation is when you're perhaps in your mid-30s, getting to your 40s perhaps, where you start creating sources of income because you've gone through a decade or so where you've been generating money, mm. income. Now your income's starting to outweigh your outgoings and your expenditure. You've got surplus income. You mm. can use that surplus income now to go and buy an investment property. You can use that surplus income to start a small pension or uh, you know, invest in something here or there, etc. Mm. You've got surplus income, you're accumulating, you're now adding it all together. Mm. And then you go to the wealth preservation. Once you've built it all up, you then preserve it. So if I give you an analogy, think about building a house. Whilst you're generating is when you're digging the foundations, mm. okay? Whilst you're accumulating, the house, you've got the actual bricks and mortar, the house is standing. And when you're preserving, you build your fence around the house. Yeah. That's the way to look at it. But there's also a lot of people that surely don't get to that, that space of like preserving wealth, even when they get to a certain age and stage in their life yeah. because of circumstances before maybe in how they've maybe in how they've run their life or sure. maybe certain things that have happened before, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. But if you notice there, I didn't mention any figures. So there's nothing okay. that says, 
You need £50,000 to start preserving wealth or you need £100,000 to start preserving wealth. It's really a life cycle. I think the message really is that a lot of 20, 30 year olds are walking around think, you know, hanging their heads because they've got a credit card or two outstanding. That's not the end of the world. It's not uncommon. Mm. Right? I know lots of people who are now extremely wealthy who started off that way mm. because you need finance, which is why it goes back to credit, getting good credit in order to get you up and running. Mm. Be responsible, of course, but you know, don't walk around thinking the world is over because you're not having art pieces on your wall that cost a million pounds. Of course. Not, do you know what I mean? I think people compare themselves now to their idols and feel inferior. Well, yeah, that's. I think that that might be like, that is probably one of, what there's so many different there's so many positives and negatives with like social media mm. there's loads of positives i think one of the negatives is that literally what you've just said like before i always say before yeah when i was growing up mm. all i really knew was about what was around in my community and a little bit outside of that mm. and then maybe like stuff that was happening in america with artists and stuff like this yeah but now obviously like social media has made everything a lot more closer you can yeah. see you know, people from wherever that lived in different areas or whatnot. And like, everyone's obviously showing the best parts of their life and all of these type of things, which then makes you think, oh, okay, shit, like I don't have this, yeah. I don't have that. And even myself, yeah, I went through a stage where I was kind of like, it wasn't about social media, but it was more about me in my mind thinking to myself, all right, cool. Like uh, there's certain things that I do not have mm that I feel like I'm supposed to have right now. Mm. But then having to then rebuild the the perspective of understanding that, hold yeah. on a minute, I can still get these things if I want to get them, but it's just about working smart. Do you understand? It, it's timing. So I think mm. there's this perception that, you know, society has a way of telling you what you should have, mm. right? When you were at school, you need to have the nice trainers. When you're, when you're in your 20s, you need to have a nice car. When you're in your 30s and 40s, you need to have a nice house. The society has a way of telling you this. The problem is the voices behind society probably don't have it themselves. Yeah, that's true. But as you say, you're sitting there thinking, I haven't got it. Yeah. Everybody else must have it. But that's not true. You know, I think society has changed over the years. 30, 40 years ago, I've got clients who were buying houses for three, 400,000 pounds. Today, some of those are worth over 10 million pounds. Mm. We have to accept that we're not in that era. So we can't walk down the road and buy a 200,000 pound house and expect it's gonna be worth 10 million pounds in the next 10 years or so. Right. You never know, but it's unlikely. So the reality is we've come from a different era. So actually, you're finding that a lot of people are not moving out their mums and dads as yeah. early as they used to be, right? Mm -hmm. But that's okay, because as I say, you're going through phases, right? You're either generating, you're accumulating, you're preserving. There is no figures, it's all individual. It depends on how you look at it. So when you don't have any assets and you're thinking, you know, life isn't worth it, well, that's not true, because there will come a stage where if you do work hard enough, and look, nothing happens by accident. Nobody mm. comes successful by mistake. Mm. I think you have to be in the right place at the right time and the circumstances have to fit. But equally, if you're not applying yourself and you're sitting there hanging your head low because you haven't got what you think society thinks you should have, mm. then you're, you're not going anywhere, really. Let me ask you this then, yeah? What, like, because you deal with people that, you know, some of your clients and stuff like that mm. are literally on a, in terms of class or on a, you know, on a higher scale sure. and in, in, that, in that sense, yeah? Mm. So, in your interactions with some of these people, yeah, do they have their thing in their class where they feel like they're supposed to have certain things? Does absolutely. that make sense? Ab absolutely. Because yeah. surely like, yeah, you know, yeah. I think like it's obviously it comes down to, you know, maybe where like a, a period of where you're at in life and who you're yeah. around or whatever, but surely those people have that, those same type of um, things that they go abs through as abs well. Absolutely. So I think it's a society thing, right? If you live on the street, where all your neighbors drive a Range Rover and you have an Audi, you're gonna feel a way about it. You're gonna yeah. think, well, hang on a second, are they all doing better than me? Or or it may be that you just prefer an Audi, but everybody from the outside will look at you and think, hmm, okay, you're the odd one out. Absolutely, I've got clients who have to maintain a certain lifestyle, right, come rain or shine. And sometimes that could be to their detriment because upkeeping a lifestyle costs money, Yeah. right? And if you're an entrepreneur, sometimes there are droughts, there are periods where business isn't doing so good. And so having to maintain that lifestyle, unless you've been planning in advance, then you haven't got the immediate funds. And so that's where they start pulling resources from left, right, center to try and make ends meet. Of course. For example, it gets to a stage where if people aren't sending their kids to private school, then you might be looked down on as if, mm, okay, well, why wouldn't you want to give your children the best start, start in life, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But actually for a lot of us, that wasn't our reality, but yet we've still managed to find our way through life. So of course, I think that happens at every stage. Mm. The key really is that you have to remind yourself that do it on your terms and at your time, all right? If you do it for you, if it works out, 
you're to thank for it. If it doesn't work out, there's no one else to blame. It's just you. Do it for you, not because of what's expected of you. Mm. Would you say there's an element of managing expectation as well? Absolutely. I think, you know, some of the people you've had on your show recently talking about, I think relationships is always an interesting one when you talk about, you know, the fact that people don't discuss finances openly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And who pays yeah. the bill at the end of the restaurant or, you yeah. know, or, or the date or whatever else. Absolutely, you have to set expectations, right? Mm. If you are trying to court a girl or a guy or whatever and you set the bar up here mm. but you can't maintain that bar you've already failed because actually for the rest of the time you're together the bar is only yeah, going to go straight. one way trust me right I'm but I think you. the reality is people feel if they don't set the bar there initially they may not grab attention right don't start something you can't maintain yeah yeah I think that's a do you know what bro so seriously I think that is like a one of the a massive issue mm. in and amongst our community yeah. as well you know yeah. People set the bar so yeah. high, yeah? yeah, and then then can't just live up to it. And usually, yeah. it's about it's all about exterior, isn't it? And it's about Absolutely. impressing people or whatever. Yeah. So it's about trying to have these things or yeah. doing whatever it is to try and get this particular person or to look a certain type of way, mm -hmm. and then constantly having to do that all of the time. Yeah. It's mental. It is. It is, and especially when you consider that you know, as I say, a lot of us are on a salary. A lot of people have income which is limited, mm. and so. If you know that there's limitations to what you earn, then you should cut your cloth accordingly. Yeah. And don't start a life you can't maintain. Yeah. And set expectations that are only gonna go one way. And so, of course, we have to be realistic with ourselves. You know, If you want to buy a property, get on the property ladder, it's good to dream and think, I wanna live in a million pound mansion, a 10 million pound mansion. But actually, if you're earning 35,000 pounds a year, it's gonna take you a while to get there. Mm. You know, NSG have that song, you know, wanna make a million, nine to five isn't an option. Well, actually, nine to five is an option. Of course, it is. Absolutely, is an option. So let's not forget that that actually there are some. CEOs. Can we talk about that? Yeah, of course. Let's talk about that because yeah. there is there is this thing mm. where people feel like, oh, you know what? I don't want to have a job because yeah. if I don't have a job, then you know I can't be a millionaire. I can't be successful. Yeah. I can't. I, like talk talk about talk on that for me. So look, I think first and foremost, you know, we have a responsibility. I think, and platforms like this is great in showcasing what's possible. Okay, that there are careers beyond entertainment because when you switch on your TV or your laptop or your phone, you see more entertainers than anything else. Mm -hmm. So people assume that these are the only people making money. Well, that's not true. Think about all the services you use. All these brands who get these celebrities or influencers on board. Think about all the people behind the scenes who are mm -hmm. actually owning these institutions, right? Ownership, equity. You know, I think Beyonce talks about equity, pay me an equity rather than the check or whatever it is. Definitely. Ownership, right? Think about people who are owning these brands that we are all flocking to. Mm. They're the ones cutting real checks, but they're not in front of the camera, okay? Mm. So if you're a CEO of one of these companies, you're getting paid well. If you're a financial director of one of these companies, you're getting paid well. If you start your own business, it may not be a consumer sort of facing type of business, but you're still getting paid well. Mm. So I think it's really understanding, you know, what the potential and the possibilities are out there of generating income. There's a study done in America, uh, I mentioned on CNBC the other day, which says the amount of money you need to earn to be classified as rich is around a hundred thousand pounds a year. How, really? how does that sound to you? That sounds a bit mad to me. A hundred thousand pounds a year, low or high? That's low, right? What to be considered in in which country? So this is in the US, but remember, US even is, in America, US is a big state. So that's hundred thousand around a hundred thousand dollars. So in the UK, you talk about eighty-one thousand pounds. Is that saying that if you earn a hundred thousand a year, you're in the top? 1%, you're in the, you're in the top bracket, so I guess it, you can't be in the top one. Not That's got to be five. No, 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 no. Yeah, you've got mass affluence. You've got you know high net worths. You have ultra high net worths. So there are definitely levels in terms of once you're getting wealthy. Of course, but just in the general term of being rich or being affluent or being upper class, they suggest is around hundred thousand pounds a year. I mean, in some senses, I could see how. I mean, depending on where you live yeah. in America, mm -hmm. yeah. So if you live, for example, if you live like in Manhattan, in New York, Manhattan or whatever, mm. I could see that that's just quite low. Yeah. But if you're living in like certain other parts of America or whatever, and you're earning a hundred thousand, because remember America's massive, you're earning a hundred thousand, there's a lot you can do with that. Especially considering that their average wage mm. around what is, what, 28,000 or something like that? Well, look at the UK. So the UK average wage, if you're looking at full-time staff, is around 35,000 pounds, yeah. men, females, um, joint together. So £100,000 actually is a long way from that. Yeah, of course. When you consider the average. So the whole point of average is there are a lot of people below that, mm. but equally there are a lot of people above it. Mm. So so yeah, I mean, it all comes back to the fact that 
you know, the, do research, understand that there are, you know, jobs out there, there are careers out there that you can earn a very, very good wage. Mm. And a lot of this is in the public domain. You know, think of any one of these companies you associate with and just look at what their CEO is earning, mm. right? And go back to NSG and say, actually, you can make you can. a million doing yeah, a nine to five. Because yeah, yeah. these guys and girls do nine to fives and they make multi-millions, you know, depending on what their employment contracts is and, and etc. Performance related bonuses, ETC. But it does exist. So let's not assume that you have to be a rapper or an entertainer in order to make that kind of money. I also think right now is probably the best time to have that understanding that you can do that, which is a po- yeah, going to social media, yeah? yeah? That's the positive side from my perspective. Sure. But the positive side is that now I feel like let me go back to actually when I was younger, yeah? Mm. When I was younger, I didn't know about the different types of jobs within the creative industry. I sure. didn't know them. Yeah. They didn't necessarily exist to me. Mm. All I knew was the artist and that was it. And obviously they probably had a manager and that was that. Now I feel like with social media and conversations and all of these different types of things, yeah. you have a, a great understanding of the different types of roles that or the different components that put all of this together. Do you get what I'm saying? It's yeah. not just necessarily one person who comes out, makes a song or, yeah. you know, whatever it may be within the creative industry and ends up blowing off and going yeah, all the way yeah, into yeah, the yeah. sky. Mm. There's like a whole bunch of people in and amongst that, that who have genuine careers mm. and that are paid handsomely, a lot mm. of them. Do you get what I'm saying? The problem with that is how many people have visibility to what those people earn behind the scenes? Oh, we, you wouldn't know what you, they you are. You wouldn't know. No. So I think, again, when... It just looks like a regular job. It looks like a regular job. It looks like you're a runner. It looks like you're just somebody behind the scenes. You're part of the extras. You're not really important. So there's that education piece. And I think, yes, we do have a responsibility to make that more visible for people growing up hmm. to really understand the careers and the options that are available to them. Can we just actually just... Because that's another thing, mm. not feeling important. Yeah. yeah. Like, that is so subjective mm. because importance, yeah... Mm. Just because everybody knows who you are doesn't necessarily mean that you're important. No. You could be the least important person in that component yeah. but, and everybody knows you. Mm. You could be the person who nobody really knows yeah. but you have you play an extreme importance. I'm sure that you ha- deal with many clients who work or is in amongst mm. something, a company or whatever it may be, mm. who are, is not the loudest voice in the room mm. or may not be the biggest personality in the room. Mm. But, you know what they say essentially goes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so true. You know, it's always the question around, as you say, the loudest person in the room isn't necessarily the richest or the most influential, etc. That is something that you have to tackle individually. Mm. I think growing up, it's good to maybe get this practice in, in terms of really understanding substance. I talk about substance a lot. That image is one thing, substance is another, right? Because anybody can portray an image, but actually what substance do you have beneath that? And a lot of people don't feel important because they want that attention to correlate with their substance. And a lot of the time, you know, this is social media, the age of social media, you know, what I do doesn't make headlines, but it changes lives, right? And what I do is something that will be around forever, right? Money and finance will be around for a while. Okay, maybe not forever, but who knows? The thing behind that is that it doesn't grab headlines, right? But the, every day there are people I'm helping whose lives are changing. Mm. And so for people growing up, if, if you look at somebody like a banker, you think, well, there's no respect as a banker. Nobody, nobody recognizes you as a banker or whatever. You have to really be comfortable with yourself that actually when you go home, that you know you've done a good day's job and you've mm. helped the people you want to help, right? And that's your purpose in life. That has to be something really personal because unless you're in the public eye, it's really hard to get the recognition. Yeah, and I think a lot of people associate an amount of followers or recognition with the actual value you're creating in society. Yeah, of course. I think a lot of people like look more. They they see social currency more than anything Correct. else. Yeah, you know what I mean? but but as you said, you know, we're in an era where actually anybody with the right mindset and the right opportunities can make money. Yeah, and it doesn't actually matter what field or sector now. Yeah, you know, if you look at the articles that came out a few days ago around Fortnite. You know, children are in their bedrooms yeah, ma- bro, making, I saw that. making millions yeah, the world for people who don't know million. yeah right? yeah go, go on to um, so you know that to me says that there's an opportunity you know there's a market now there's a ready market for whatever you've got in your head yeah, so bro. long as you can package it right yeah. and find the right way to channel it there is a market Definitely. you know and we've never really had that opportunity before so yes whilst our parents and their parents before had access to you know assets properties and things at a lower price that we probably can't access it at we and the reverse have the opportunity to make income far beyond what they ever did mm-hmm. so for me new money is fast outpacing old money 
Mm. So long as you can make it sustainable because the old money has lived a long time, mm. right? New money has a, life, a short lifespan, three, four, five years and you're out of fashion, and you're, 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 not, you're out of favour and your sort of hype dies down. So unless can, can you making, elaborate on that a little yeah. bit? Because you, like, you lost me just a tiny bit sure. in terms of what you're talking about in, with mm. new money and old money. What, yeah. what, what's old money? So old money, I think, really is grassroots. You know, that's inherited money over generations. So you have a lot of people who, if you look around London, for example, families who are the freeholders to a lot of these properties in the commercial high streets. You go somewhere like Mayfair in central London and families own the streets. They are the, they are the landlords effectively to all these brands that you know, we, we love. Now, whilst that remains under the family ownership, they're gonna make income for as long as somebody sits in their shop or their store or their house or whatever. Right, and they have the rights to review what the leases they charge on the on on people who are renting these spaces, forever. Right, so old money. There's some old money that's just going to live forever. Yeah, of course. Until ownership changes hands or whatever happens. Yeah. New money now is the new age of you know YouTubers and influencers and entrepreneurs and people who are able to amass a following or ten million on YouTube or whatever and monetize that very quickly and now start making millions of contracts from here and there and everywhere. Whereas in the past, in order to set up a business and make a couple of million pounds, you're talking a few good years of training. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now you could do, you could do that something quick. that goes viral, mm. you know, find a good manager to help you monetize that mm. and you're making, you know, a good, you know, several hundred thousands or whatever the contracts might be. So you can attain money much quicker now. Mm. And there's a lot more of it in circulation because you know, as, as the world sort of develops, money becomes more available. It just depends on where it's distributed. Of course. And whether you're part of that circle where the money's being distributed. Distributed, exactly. Or you're a spectator. Which is a deep, that's a deep conversation that. Where are you, Chucky? Where am I? Where are you? What, in terms of where the money's being distributed? I need <laughs> are, to you know. part, are you part of the distribution <laughs> or are you spectating? <laughs> no, I need, listen, I'll tell you what, all I'm saying is I need a bit more of it, to be honest with you. But yeah. no, I'm good, I'm good. I'm actually all right. I'm in a, financially, I'm yeah. in a much better space than I, than like, I thought I would be. Okay, good. Yeah, because I went for a time where like, had a lot of money, lost a lot of money. Yeah. And then I was really careless with my with, with money as well before. Mm. Remember, we, we had this conversation before where I was mm. talking about, you know, like, thinking that, you know everything was just free essentially so I was just taking money from banks and all of these type of things yeah, and just yeah, being yeah, yeah. being really careless with it until yeah. when I started to understand mm. when I started to understand mm. that life mm. is a game where if you can play it right mm. you can get more out of it yeah. then I, when I started to understand the codes I started to play the game a little bit better yeah, yeah, and yeah. I started to understand a bit uh, 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 things a lot more better which is why I want to ask you actually mm. um Budgeting tips, mm. yeah. Um, before, that was one thing that I never used to do at mm. all. Mm. I didn't budget at all. And like, now I budget. I understand that like, there's an element of sacrifice that yeah. comes with budgeting and that as well. And I feel that like, sacrificing through budget mm. can help you more in your future. Mm. If you don't, and it takes away more from your future. Yeah. Sometimes, do you yeah. get what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you get like, do you get people that approach you especially some of your clients that come to you for budgeting tips? And if so, what you, where do you usually go with it? So, good question. I think budgeting, again, is something that's very individual. So I think there's a lot of self-help tools out there, apps and things you can download to help you budget. But ultimately, it really comes down to your discipline. Mm. Right? How disciplined are you? How much do you want to achieve this goal that you've set out to achieve? you're right, you're gonna to have to start sacrificing, making sacrifices in order to achieve your goal. For me, I think it has to be visual. You have to be able to see where you're adding value by having this budgeting plan. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to save money to buy a house or to buy a car or, or to have a wedding or to buy an engagement ring? Whatever it might be. You need to be able to see that vision very clearly in order to be disciplined and set yourself some pretty strict guidelines around it. So, you know, I have my own budgeting tool that I use, right? It's not public, it's just something that I use. It's a spreadsheet and that spreadsheet, believe me, grows every day because sometimes I go home and I think, hmm, let me add another column here for, for X, Y, Z. What does it look, what does it, how does it, what does it consist of? Like, how does it? It consists of pretty much everything. It consists of monthly, you know, bi-monthly income, etc. All the income sources effectively, right? Okay. Then all my committed expenditure. So things like, uh, any finance, mortgage, etc. Uh, it commits. It co um, consists of any sort of general expenditure as well. So things like utilities and mobile phones, whatever. So every outgoing I have is listed, okay. and I even forecast as well sometimes. So I look at thinking, okay, if I acquire such and such in such a time, 
what's that gonna cost me to service? And so then I forecast it along and say, right, okay, well, that's gonna reduce my income by X amount. So my spending money <laughs> is gonna go down to this, right? Blouse and skirt. So it's, so so it's, it's no mistake. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yours is w- really intricate. It's, it's, it's deep. Yeah, 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 it's I deep. can imagine. And, you know, perhaps maybe in the position I'm in, I've got the benefit of knowing certain things that helps me do that. So look, I wouldn't say that I'll give that to somebody who's just trying to start out budgeting. No, say, no, no. Have a comprehensive, you know, Excel document that helps yeah. you see into the future. But I do have clients, funny enough, who come to the table and say, well, here's my spreadsheet of my, you know, my income or expenditure forecast, my cash flow. Uh, and you look at something and think, wow, it's like the matrix. Yeah. Because they've planned everything. You know, they, they're including the value of their assets. So their properties, how much is worth today, how much it might be worth in five years time, how much their mortgage might be down to, you know, what other assets they might acquire within that time. That's very complicated. Wow. Right? It's very complicated. Years ahead. But it's not, it's not a coincidence. It's not a mistake when you see wealthy people getting wealthy yeah. through planning, right? But on the basic level, listen, have a system whereby you know exactly what you're being paid. If you're on a monthly basis or weekly basis, whatever the case might be, have a system so you, you know what that looks like. You also have to have pretty clear sight of what your outgoings are, right? So before the money even touches your account, you need to know how much you've got left. That's, that's the basic maths, right? You need to know how much money you've got left once all your bills are gone. From that portion is when you decide, right, okay, how much of this do I save? How much of this do I spend? How much of this goes towards travel? How much of this just, you know, general entertainment and food and, you know, going out, etc. That has to be also separated. And that you then put to the side and say, right, okay, I'm gonna invest or I'm gonna start an ISA, I'm gonna start a saving pot where I put something into. And whatever that figure is, set up a standing order so that you don't have to go in manually every month to move it because we all get very lazy and tempted not to move it. Mm. you think, ah, oh, this month, oh, don't worry about this month. I'll, I'll, I'll do double next month. And yeah, double, yeah, yeah, You never yeah. do double no, next you month. Never, nah. Right. When you so, do, when you start doing that, that's when it starts going, that's when it starts going pear-shaped, to be honest with you. No, correct. So that's, there has to be discipline. And you know, there, there are points where before I got into my spreadsheet, I used to just keep it in my notes on my phone. And you know, I just realized that the notes was getting longer, longer and longer. And longer, yeah, and longer. Yeah, 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 so yeah, I thought, yeah. right, let me transpose this into an Excel document yeah. where you can track it properly. So look, take your phone, right? And just start right at the top income, expenditure. What's, what are you left with? What is your net disposable income that you've got to yourself? Yeah. And then the question for everybody is really, how do you reduce your outgoings? How do you reduce your expenditure? You know, I say to people, shop around. You know, if you've got the benefit of having good credit, shop around and get the best deal, right? If you've got a loan or a credit card and you're paying a high level of interest, there's no reason why you can't refinance that. Of course. Right? And refinancing, it simply means to reduce your outgoings. Mm. Because if you're paying 10% interest and you refinance to something that's 3 or 4% interest, you're saving yourself a lot of money. Mm. Right? So shop around and you know, be active. Look at your finances and say, right, could I get a better deal somewhere? Bro, like, <clears throat> I think for me as well, yeah, that was something that I wasn't doing for a long time, actually. Mm. I was probably paying like a lot high interest on... Right. A lot of things, not necessarily looking, going back to it and then and and renegotiating and trying to find yeah, yeah, out. Yeah. And I think that there's a like for a lot of these companies as well. For me, from my perspective, mm. it's it's not like they come to me and say, "Oh, by the way, just let you know, like you know what, we can reduce this for you now." They'll just keep making you pay it. They'll just keep making you pay it until you yeah. until you do something about it. If we don't know, then and you're none the wiser, they'll keep making you pay. Look, as as much as I hate to say it, but banks and financial institutions are commercial entities, they have to make money. The more money they make, the more profitable they are, the happier the shareholders are. So there's no incentive for them to pick up the phone to you and say, hey, Chucky. That's true. By the way, you're paying us too much interest. Would you like to switch? Yeah. Um, I think they brought in- I would have thought there would have been smarter ways in doing it though, by by saying, okay. I mean, maybe that is a smart way of doing it, but maybe they could have said, all right, cool. I'll tell you what, mm. we'll ring you and we'll tell you that yeah. you can pay less, yeah. but we'll offer you more. And then that, what that does is that increases your temptation sometimes for some people. <laughs> and that's probably me? terrible advice. Yeah, that come and borrow more money and we'll reduce, your, we'll reduce your interest. Because then for people who are easily tempted, they'll take the more money. You know, as I said before, when I, when I was last here, debt has to be repaid back at some point. Of course, but so, the, the reason why I say that though mm. is that it has to be repaid back. But mm. the more that you pay, mm. even, it might be, the interest might be less. Mm. But the consequences could be higher if you don't pay, which means more money for them. It just means that the risk. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's about risk and reward. Do you, you get what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, but I think, you know, I, there'll be a major scandal if banks started ringing around and saying, hey, by the way, <laughs> if you would like a lower rate of interest, yeah. would you like to borrow some more money? 
Um, <laughs> I, I can imagine headlines being made out of that very easily. Yeah. You know, I think never borrow more than you need unnecessarily mm. because ultimately you're paying back unnecessary interest. If you have the ability to, you know, if you're coming to some money and you look at what am I doing with this money? What's the best way of utilizing this money I've got? You know, do I invest it? Do I pay down some of my debt? Or do I do other things with it? Always have that conversation with yourself. And I say this to clients even. If you have a windfall, you sell a business or you sell something and all of a sudden you've got some money, before you take any action, you know, bring up your spreadsheet or bring up your phone or wherever your notes are and have a look at where you are. You know, last time I was here, I said a piece of paper, assets and liabilities on, on either side. Have a look at that before you take any action and think, right, what is the best way of making the most out of this money I've got right now? Mm. Before you do anything with it. Because it could be that actually, if I could reduce this debt by a fraction, my monthly payments will come down, meaning I've got more, more money I can save each month. Or actually, there's this great opportunity that I can invest in, which will give me returns greater than the interest I'm paying on this loan. So therefore, it balances itself out. So there's conversations you have with yourself. Mm. Maybe you you may not be the best person to ask for this, but I'm sure that there'll be mm. some expertise in this in, in, in there somewhere. Yeah. There's been conversation that I've seen a lot like on social media mm. about from certain types of people anyway, yeah. Discussing what is better to invest in mm. um a house or jewellery. Oh. It's a good topic. From your perspective, <laughs> talk to me on that. Okay, so look, first and foremost, the values are completely different for most people, right? I think houses for the general population will be the biggest investment you ever make, right? Because you know, for most people who are earning, if we're looking at, and I always like to look at the median, the average wage, because that's where you know, the line is for most people. If you're earning around 35, 40,000 pounds, let's say, you know, you're going to buy a house, that's probably gonna be your biggest investment. Watches, however, uh, and I'm a big lover of watches, that's sort of come into a world of its own very, you know, in the recent years, because the demand for watches has grown rapidly so rapidly that actually if you look at the second-hand market you know what watches are going for compared to retail is insane mm. right is insane so for me a well diversified investment portfolio however you call it is having a bit of everything here and there if you can okay, okay. property as bricks and mortar is a safe and sound investment why because you know for sure that over the years properties go up and the values are maintained, if nothing else. You can always borrow against that asset, mm. okay? It's not very easy to borrow against your watch. No. All right, you can take it to a pawnbroker and they'll do something crazy and give you money, but you know, a property is something that really and truly is for you and the next generation, potentially. Because, mm. you know, say for example, you buy a house worth half a million pounds, you have children. In 20 years time, that house is worth now a million pounds and you've paid off your mortgage. Your children wanna get on the property ladder. You take out equity release mortgages on that on that property to give them the deposits they've started out in life. Yeah, right? exactly. Simple. <clears throat> it's not always as easy to realize the equity in, in a watch. Yeah. That said, you know you can buy a Rolex, a steel Rolex Daytona at retail value for about eight thousand pounds. Yeah. The resale value is around sixteen thousand pounds. There's no tax to pay on that. No. So instantly you can make a gain. So you know, for me if you have the option to have a bit of both, yeah. do it. Well, I feel like that maybe speaks a little bit to like where we are as a society at the mm. moment, yeah? Mm. In a sense of looking for a quick flip a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like, I yeah. feel like in terms of investment now, yeah. I can't speak for everyone. And maybe again, this is a class thing, I don't mm. know, yeah? But I, sometimes like when I listen to conversations that people have when it, mm. comes, when it comes to investment, mm. it's like a lot of people don't feel like they even have the patience yeah. they don't articulate it this way True. it's just from my understanding yeah for the long-term long investment term. yeah so the quick flip always seems a bit more sexier yeah do you get so, me so look and i totally i totally uh, mm -hmm. recognize that i think a lot of people haven't got the time or the patience to invest for the long term so that's why when you're investing you really need to take a look at what your goal is i think the reason why watches have become so popular is because people are seeing how easy they can be flipped and the money people are making on them but unless you're buying a watch at a retail price, then you've probably lost some of that value anyway because somebody else who got access to the retail price, the Daytona, at 8,000 pounds, 9,000 pounds, has sold it to you for 16. Hmm. So you're sitting now on a watch that costs eight, but you've bought it for 16. How long will it take you to make some value out of that now? Hmm. Right. So some people are entering the market at the top end hmm. and there's no further cream. <laughs> right. So you, you, you've kind of come in a bit late to the mm. scene. So, you know, that's why I think you really have to look at what your goals are. 
Mm. Because, you know, yes, you buy a watch and it can hold its value. The problem is that once you start customizing the watch. Oh, well, when you bust it down. You then have to really question what the actual demand is going to be, be for that for the resale market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, that's the thing. Uh, usually when people talk about the bust down watch and all of that type of stuff, yeah. straight away I always think, yeah, the, the, the bust down looks sick, yeah, really, yeah, like yeah, in yeah. the picture, yeah, yeah, especially yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're out with the man named yeah. Dan Gang and all of that. Yeah. yeah. But then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but for the actual investment conversation, that's yeah. definitely not the sexy move. Yeah, no. No, you're right. I think you, know, you have to, and they do say that, I think manufacturers do say that once you start making your own customizations to the watch, there's no longer warranty. They kind of wash their hands off that watch and say, right, we, we have nothing to do with do this with anymore it, yeah. because you've changed the feature of the art we've created. Yeah. So that's a personal thing. Once you start customizing it to that level, I think you have to be prepared to, to almost discount the value quite dramatically yeah. because nobody's going to come and buy it from you, including all the money you've spent on it to add those features. Yeah. Right. So it has to be clever investing. You know, for sure, there are watches out there you can buy now that you know may not appreciate in value overnight, but for sure will hold its value of nothing else. But please, please do your research. You have to know what you're buying. Do you feel like, see, like right now, yeah, mm. to me, there seems like there's a lot of conversation about investing in. Right, remember when Bitcoin was yeah. a thing, yeah? yeah, yeah, like everyone was on this Bitcoin yeah. thing or whatever, yeah. But like, do you feel that like a, a lot of people are sort of jumping into the idea or loving the idea of investing into just pretty much anything without really knowing what they're investing in. While doing the in. research. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's, it goes back to the point you made around people wanting a quick gain. Yeah. You know, it's about, well, if I've got 10,000 pounds, quick, what's the what's the best thing I can do right now to turn that into 20,000, right? And sometimes, you know, you have to understand that the higher, you know, the higher the risk, the higher the likelihood that you may not get anything back from your investment, Yeah. right? Generally, higher risk, high reward, but, it's, higher, it's called higher risk for a reason. Mm. So I think, yes, you're right. People are looking for the quickest way to double their money in quick time. Mm. Um, and that is perhaps leading people into places where you wouldn't necessarily go. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, my advice would be only invest what you can comfortably afford to lose yeah. if you're going into those scenarios. Yeah. Just lastly on this on this um, particular subject mm. here, yeah. Um, with houses in particular, right yeah. now it seems like a bit of a weird time. Like when it comes to property, yeah, property, yeah. and like loads of different things in it, purely because of Brexit, yeah. and no one doesn't know exactly yeah, what's well, going to okay. happen mm. when it, when it comes to October the thirty yeah. first, I believe. Yeah. Mm. Um, before I asked you, like, how that sort of affects you in terms of property, yeah, mm. from your understanding, mm. like, is it a good time to buy? I speak to like. Um, estate agents and stuff like sure. that and yeah, they're just yeah. like oh do you know it's fucked for us right now right. there's nothing happening blah, blah 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 but on the same token I do hear about like some of the houses are dipping a little bit 100%. do you know what I mean you can come in and snap but then 100%. some people say oh well you know like yeah some are dipping but they could dip extra low yeah. so but then I never I can't imagine it doing so yeah. from your perspective talk to me on that because surely you must have some clients that come to you so and I do I do a lot of property transactions I, I probably talk <clears> about properties every single day um, for the past year or so, there's definitely been a slowdown in the intensity of property purchases from where I, I'm sat. Okay, so I can't say that for the entire market, but certainly for, this, for the place where I'm in, there's definitely been a slowdown. Um, estate agents are an interesting bunch of people to sort of mm. talk to because they have an incentive, right? Yeah. They, they, they need to sell a property in order to make their money. Target. Um, what I've seen in the market though is that Comparing now to last year, for example, last year when somebody found a property, they wanted to act now, right? We agree a purchase price, we exchange contracts, we complete, done. What I've seen this year is people are haggling around to bring the price as low as possible. And when they do agree a price, they kick the can so far down the road, so completion is six months down the line. Or, you know, as long as they possibly can to delay things, because I think because of the state of the economy, People are really trying to game the system to see what's going to happen. You know, at one point there was talk about a reduction in stamp duty, which you pay when you buy a new house. Yeah. And if that happens, you know, that will save a lot of people money. So they were trying to kick the can as far down the road to see if that would be a possibility. But obviously now that we're not sure that's gonna happen, people are getting on with things. So is it the right time to buy property? Well, I think it depends on what your situation is. If you're buying your first home 
or you're buying a family home and you need to move your current family into a, a, you know, a better place, then it's always a right time to buy because yeah. you know, your circumstances you know, command yeah, yeah. that you do something about your situation. For people who are looking to invest, I think it's definitely a buyer's market in the sense that if you see an asking price, more often than not, you can bring that down. Mm. Right, so nobody's really going in and paying asking price unless there's crazy demand for a particular property, in which case the seller just won't accept anything less. But I think people are definitely going in and bringing, uh, you know, asking prices down. Yeah. And another thing, you know, for people who who, who are aware of property transactions is valuations. Yeah. So as a banker, before I lend you money, I need to see what your property is worth. So you might tell me your property is worth half a million. When I get it valued, it comes back at £300,000. So all of a sudden, the money I was going to lend you, I might have to reduce. Mm. Or in some cases, I can't lend you at all because the loan to values are too close. Mm. So that's affecting a lot of transactions as well. Yeah. And that happens once there's the sentiment in the market that we're not really sure what's happening. So a lot of valuers are downvaluing. So yeah. I think there's been a lot of turbulence with property. How how has the current climate sort of affected your job at the moment though so to me personally I think it's been that frustration that you do a lot of work up front when I meet clients who are looking to take equity out of the property looking to buy properties looking to transact but then they're delaying things and so you know transactions are not completing as quickly as they should because you know they're trying to buy as much time as possible so you do a lot of work up front but there's nothing to show for it mm-hmm. because until it completes well that's great you know, so, so if I have a target of doing 10 million pounds of debt a year but I haven't actually given 10 million pounds out. I've got it agreed and it's all ready, but they're not taking the money. It doesn't count until it happens. So that has been really frustrating. And I think everyone's kind of feeling the same that you do all the work up front, but no one's taking the money because they're kind of waiting around to do this mm. or to do that. So that's definitely affected me directly, Yeah, I would say. Like, I want to go a little bit um, more on the scale of like, with, with dealing with young people and money yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. sure. And like, you know, we spoke about this before about mm. things that are not really spoken about in school and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. What do you think, like, what do you think that we could do mm. as people, yeah, mm. to kind of help give our understanding to young people about money? So, so I think we, we have a responsibility. When I say we, I think anybody with any influence has a responsibility to try and pass on some knowledge or educate, you know, the next generation. So as I said to you, what I do doesn't grab headlines, but it changes lives. Every day I'm doing things with people that is life-changing. Part of that is working with children. So this year alone, I've probably spoken to over a thousand kids, whether that's going into schools and addressing 200 of them or 300 of them or one-to-one. Did they ask you questions? Incredible amounts of questions, endless questions. Like what? Everything. I had one particular student who came to the office with a list of questions sick. after I went to a school. Really? And she was asking me things that I had to search deep in my soul. Do you know how sick and that is, though? I mean, <laughs> listen, I've got all the political answers to a T. Yeah. When she starts asking you things like, are you successful? How do you feel about your happiness? How, how, oh, okay. How, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm thinking. <laughs> right. Okay, I can't talk about economy here. Um, right. Quick, quick. Think quick. What, what do I say? Yeah. So, yeah, they ask questions. So, I think, you know, just by doing that, it's giving them access. Because I think, you know, a lot of people try and set up things with schools. I don't know if you've ever tried working for school, but it's very hard, it's difficult. It's very hard to get into a school and set up a program or do things like that to help them. They've got all this kind of curriculum pressures and things like that, budget mm. and things like that. But I think children just need to hear more from people with knowledge that they can pass on. So when I go to these schools and I'm talking about money or finance and simple things like, you know, budgeting or, you know, don't worry about buying things you can't afford yet and wait and things like that. It's simple things that they come to you and say, okay, so, you know, how did you feel when you couldn't buy this or couldn't buy that? For them, it's very much about what they can touch and feel, Mm. right? So is is that emotive subject, is that emotions attached to money where, you know, the first question they always ask is how much do you earn? What okay. car do you drive? How much do you watch? You know, oh, okay. it's, it's, it's the visual things they can see first, right? Yeah, yeah. Which gets their attention. But actually, when you remove that layer and you talk to them about, look, for me, this is personally speaking, I feel that my purpose in life is to help as many people as I can. Yeah. The money is a consequence of that. That comes as part of it. But when I wake up every day, it's not about checking my bank balance. It's about, right, who can I help today? Mm. And so it's really finding a passion and belief in what it is you want to do and following that wholeheartedly. The money will come, you know, ultimately. Mm. Think about all these big inventors and creators. They all set out to try and change the way that we do things in life. As a result, they're millionaires, billionaires, whatever else, right? Yeah. But there's a passion. So it's kind of 
passing that sort of knowledge on to children and saying, right, it's okay. First and foremost, budgeting for kids is important. Massive. Understanding money, the yeah, importance yeah. of money. Oh, that's that's something, a conversation I always have with my brothers. Yeah. I talk to them about, you know, like budgeting money and, and ways that they can sort of save their money and all of these different things. Yeah. You know, just like some just basic things as well, like, mm. you know, opening up a separate bank account where you can't see nothing. Yeah. Like that, that can make all of the difference. Because yeah. you, you know, if you have a bank account where you can see everything, mm. and you've got like for me anyway, personally, if 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 I had a bank account where I've got you know my current account and I've got my savings account, and it's all together, and it's on my phone. Mm. I got my phone apps and that. If I go and I can see everything that's in my savings, if something's looking a little bit low, then I'm tempted to go and dip. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah, where yeah, if yeah. something else is over there, mm. I don't know what's in there. I can't yeah. see it, and I think that they become they, you get to a point where you're like. If you've been doing it for so long, mm. you kind of don't even want to know no. now. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? You've left it there. You just kind of just want to leave it and leave it until maybe you, there's a, a really big purchase that you want to yeah. go on making. So, so I think, look, when we're talking about children, it's really the, the basic financial literacy. It's things like explaining good debt versus bad debt, explaining credit, you know, explaining bank accounts, how to run a bank account. Uh, simple things like cash accounts, debit cards, and just, you know, really just helping them to get to grips with, okay, if I make money, you know, we're talking about generation, generating wealth. When I start generating money, these are some of the things I need to look at. You know, before I go and buy that big car or whatever, I need to make sure that, you know, my finances are in order. I don't overcommit myself too soon. I wait until I'm in this position before I start committing. Because look, our generation, we've made so many mistakes, right? But every generation makes mistakes. I just feel that with ours, it's costly because you know debt has been so cheap we've all been filling our boots with it so everyone's got some debt they're carrying around in their closet it has to be paid back at some point and I feel that you know unless we do it the generation coming up now you know most people who are in the upper class or in the wealth bracket before they even turn one there's a bank account for them I know fuck bro right? there's a bank account for them with money more money in it than probably most of us walking around and that's before they're even walking right so Apply that to your current situation and think, right, okay, if I'm gonna have children, I want to set them up, you know. We have to understand that we need to raise the bar for every generation. So what are we doing now in order to raise the bar? Because when we have children, they cannot go through the same struggles we went through. No. Same period, they cannot go through that. So what are we doing? You know, are we setting up trust funds? Are we setting up pensions that they're gonna benefit from? The sad part about all of this is inheritance tax. Do you know much about inheritance yes. tax? Well, yeah, discuss that actually. Yeah. Because I know, like, I know a little bit about that. Obviously, I know yeah, that, yeah. for example, if you know, if 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 a family member, say my granddad, for example, yeah. my granddad lives in a very big house. Mm. I know that if he when he dies, yeah, if he leaves that to somebody, then we have to pay some form of tax on that. Yeah. And what is this? What is it? It's like fifty percent or something. So sure. so. Yeah, so effectively that that is that is what you have to do. So if I use let's say a single person as an example, so you have a when you die, whatever your assets are, the net value of them. So let's say you have a mortgage, you know, take that away, etc. Whatever the net value is, there's a lifetime allowance of three hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds. Okay, so that if you like add it to your assets and anything above three hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds, the government is technically accessible to forty percent tax. Tax of nuts. That is crazy so to me. If you're not, if you're, so when I talked about the stages of wealth, that's quite new as well. No, mm, it's been around for a while. How like how tax. long? How long a while? Like more I than mean, twenty years. It's been around my entire time in banking. <laughs> it's really? been around. Yeah, yeah, it's been around for a long time. So when you're thinking about wealth preservation, so the reason why I'm talking about this is we're talking about how we raise the bar for our children and the next generation. But a lot of clients start thinking about how they preserve the wealth, and a lot of it is inheritance tax planning. You know, when people say, oh, I don't want any debt, I want to die debt free, well, great, the tax man's going to get their hands on 40% of your wealth, right? Whereas if you've got debt, think about what you can use that debt for. So say you've got a house that's worth a million and you borrow half a million pounds against it. Not that you need it, but you use that half a million pounds to set up, uh, you know, trust funds or to pay for school fees or whatever, right? So that you've been able to use the value in that asset before you've even sold it. Right? Okay. You've, put, you've put the asset to work. So yeah. you've borrowed money against it to use that to set up all these different vehicles. You set up trusts accounts for your children, which will benefit only them, so nobody else can come and take the yeah. money or whatever yeah. else, yeah. and that money will help pay for school fees, deposit on houses, etc. When you pass away, they can't tax you on that 500,000 because that's debt. So okay. then your, your estate has reduced 
Okay. <laughs> right? So it's half, it's half of yeah, what it's worth, yeah. except you've managed to use the value in that to do good before yeah. that time. So, you know, th there's financial planners who will talk you through all the vehicles around. But the whole point is, if you're thinking, I'm just building all my assets nice and debt-free, and one day it's all going to go to my kids, well, do consider inheritance tax. Because yeah. that's, that, that, that 500,000 debt yeah. goes down to whoever inherits it, right? Well, no. So it dep it dep you can, normally what happens is the estate, which is what they call your wealth once you pass away, assets can be sold. So once assets are sold, all the debts are repaid. Mm. And okay. then the net values is whatever you use. Um, you know, for whatever purpose. So what you'll find is a lot of property transactions happen via probate. And that simply means somebody has passed away and the family members are now deciding Quite what to you. do with it. Yeah. And they sell it because they say, well, you know, granddad or grandma's passed away. We want to sell the house and use the money in the house to do something with it. Word. Right. I, so I'm, I'm assuming that like wealth preservation is literally the the fundamental conversation that, is, that happens in your office. Correct. Well, well, it depends on what stage they're at. You know, I've got clients for all different stages. You know, you'd be surprised. There are some still in their 30s who are aggressively, aggressively generating wealth, you know, who are working every hour in the day, who are, you know, exposed to their eyeballs in terms of commitments, um, but all for good purpose, all because they're trying to get a business off the ground or develop a business or, or to, build, to build the empire. You have to start from somewhere. So for them, they're not thinking about investing, they're not thinking about preservation, they're thinking about, right, how do I create maximum value in this thing I started? And it might take five years, it might take 10 years, but then naturally they'll come to that point where they start accumulating and say, right, okay, I've done all the hard work, I can start now adding these things up and start creating different sources of income. Before, I start thinking about, right, pensions, you know, what do I look at for my children? Do I set up trust funds? Do I pay for school fees or do I not? Do I start paying off debt or do I keep it in place because it offsets inheritance tax? So that conversation really is tailored to where you are in life, mm. which is why I want everybody who listens to this to understand that you have to assess yourself by where you are today. Don't compare yourself to those who've gone through the motions and are now walking around with all these big assets whilst you have none, because you're probably still generating and that's okay. Two questions for you. Yeah. What, from a money perspective, mm. what's, the, what's the most important thing for you? Understanding the consequences of wealth is the most important thing. Understanding the consequence of the money you have, what you use it for, the decisions you, you make with it. The consequence is the most important thing. If all you're interested in is buying assets with no value or wearing all your wealth when you leave the house, then you do need to kind of think about you know the long term. Perhaps maybe you need to kind of reassess some morals or, or whatever else. But as an in individual thing, you know, I think we talk about the consequences of a lot of our actions, but nobody ever associates consequences with wealth or money, mm. right? Money is power. Word. Are you happy? Am I happy? Mm. I think happy is a happy is not a destination; it's a journey. Mm. Uh, and I feel that you know, as I say, I think I want to help as many people as I can, and that doesn't always mean uh, you know one-on-one -on -one sessions here and there. But sometimes I'm doing things behind the scenes that perhaps nobody knows about, but it's benefiting tons of people it's interesting because there's a lot of people who are probably in the social domain now whose nephews or brothers or sisters have probably come across in some capacity mm. but they'll never know that yeah yeah right? they'll never know that mm. but that's okay for me yeah, <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah yeah of course I, I, don't, I don't sort of stand on a pedestal where i shout no. from the rooftops and say hey guess no. what i've helped your family member i've helped your family yeah. no but you know and a lot of people live through you don't forget that so even Elaborate. just by even by you know i have this thing now where in my head i always say to myself right be the best of yourself. That's that's the radio I've got playing in my head right now. Whether I'm at the gym, I'm in the office, wherever I am, be the best of yourself. Because people are living through you. You know, people are watching you doing what you're doing, being inspired. And they may not speak. You know, a lot of people will be inspired by you but may never say a thing. But they're watching your movements and bettering themselves as a result. Mm. So if I maintain the best of myself, then I know that for sure somebody somewhere is benefiting from Definitely. It, you know. Are you going to the doctors as well? Remember, Callum, I told people I'm going to start asking people this question. Am I going to, the, going doctors? to the doctors? Yeah, yo, it's important. I tell people all the time. I've got private yeah. medical, medical health care. Okay, um, so that, you go you know, and you make sure you, everything. I've got, I've got an app where, you know, if you have an issue, you kind of dial in. and you know, Oh, really? You have, you, have you have a chat with them. No uh, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I did, I did that once. It was major awkward because it was just like, mm, it was a GP. So what, hey, wait, you just like, so you open up the app yeah. and then you, like, it says, you, you basically do you have a problem? The problem is, correct. And then it, it sort of, you go through the questions 
and it connects you to a GP appointment Cold. at say an hour's time. You dial in and it's like, yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, okay, do you want to show me that problem you've got? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, um, I think it's called Babylon um, or something like that. Oh, okay. Babylon Health or something. But yeah, does that I mean, come along with your private healthcare? It does, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure, I'm sure you, look, you, can, you can access anything these days. Yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, that's my kind of cheat code that I use if I need to go to the GP. That's good because obviously finance is important, but looking after yourself is equally as important. Listen, without you, and nothing that, else happens. Exactly. Yeah, bro. I feel like I love speaking to you. I feel like I learned a lot from you, and it's it's. I just think on top of all of that, yeah. Aside from all of that, I've I've known you for a little while, but not properly. Like we've just seen each other from a distance or whatnot. But I just love seeing people like you, you know, doing what you're doing and making a difference and stuff like that, and doing it like quite like making a big impact but quietly mm. do you get what i'm saying yeah. like you know what i was saying before that you have the, the big voices in the room and then you have the, the people that are a lot more quiet but they have mm. a thing around them that like really makes things tick and what you do is very important and just coming and having this conversation yeah. you know and speaking to the audience and stuff like that like really counts for something so bro i proper appreciate it and we should as yeah. i said you know, every period of time, just sit down and have a conversation. You're going to be my guy that I come to when yeah, it comes to look, when it comes to talking about and, money. And look, that door is always open. I think yeah. I'm always happy to have a conversation with you and your followers and your listeners uh, because I feel, as I say, we have a responsibility. So yeah. you, know, you can charge me to that. That you know, when, when you call, I'm happy to come down. No and doubt. And if there's anything as well that you feel like is a good important thing for people to know or a yeah. good conversation to have yeah. then feel free to hit me yeah. and then we'll you know we'll discuss another time sure. when we can do it and, and get it done well, I'm always working on things and there's lots of things on the pipeline at the moment so yeah. you know, at some point I'm sure there'll be a moment where I say look I think this might be important for um, for people to know but look pleasure thank, thank, you. thank you for having me back here thanks for listening everyone head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.